coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss all that in ransomware, a new spam campaign delivers ransomware. Next up, check yourself before you wreck yourself, the checkmate jailbreak. And finally, dashing your food delivery hopes and dreams, the DoorDash breach. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 27, recorded on September 30th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, suns out, puns out, LaBelle, with me co-host, Emily, knower of things, hacker. And last but not least, Tarek, malware aficionado, Sala. The gang's all here. Here we all are. Hello. Glad we got that out of the way yet. <laughs> I love both of the references, Tarek and Emily, to last episode. Well done. You've mastered the literary method of illusion. Yes. <laughs> you have to, to learn listen from the to all of our episodes to understand <laughs> our jokes. Yes. And if you listen to all of them and the jokes still aren't funny, there's some secret episode <laughs> that you haven't heard that explains trust all us. of that. Just trust or that. That They're seems funny. like a less uh, time expensive approach. Um, well, let's jump into it before I dig myself into more comedic holes here. <laughs> so the first article is All That and Ransomware. So a new spam campaign is underway that's targeting Chinese recipients to trick them into installing Revil ransomware. Um, so Emily, to kick us off, can you provide some background as to how this campaign was discovered? Yeah, sure. So um, a researcher going by the name Onion discovered this campaign, and he posted about it on Twitter. He posted a link to a blog post that um, stated that a company called Hiking Labs had come across the emails, which were pretending to be from DHL. Now, let me clarify that this blog post was written in Chinese, and I do not speak Chinese. Or what? You would never know it, but I do not speak or read Chinese, um, so I just did a Google translated version of the post, so there could be some errors. Um, but what the Google translated version of the post indicated was that this hiking labs had been tracking the Sodonokibi uh, ransomware since as early as May 9th, when another campaign delivered an earlier version of the malware to Chinese recipients. I think a researcher by the name of Onion, I would happily provide them with root access. Hmm. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Emily, for <laughs> that helpful context. So let's get into how the campaign was executed itself. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the emails are disguised as coming from DHL, and um, they are designed to make the victim believe that they have a delayed package that needs customs information in order to ship through the border. So the email has an attachment that, um, in Chinese, is titled DHL Customs Declaration Form dot doc dot exe, um, and the file image it looks like a Microsoft Word file image. Um, if the user opens up that executable, the malware executes and it uses PowerShell to delete the user's volume shadow copies and then it encrypts all the victim's files. Oh, fun. How fun. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cheeky there with um, how it pulls in the Microsoft logo mm -hmm. when you're looking at the attachment. That's definitely concerning. So once those victim's files are encrypted, what steps are the, the 
basically the actor asking them to take or what's next? Yeah. So first of all, I love the concept that the actor is asking them to take an action. Try to give them the benefit of the They're doubt. They're so polite. <laughs> Dear sir or ma'am. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, once the user's files are encrypted, a ransom note called R, it's just a jumble of letters that I will not attempt again to read, dot, um, TXT, it appears in their files, and that ransom note tells the users to visit the ransom website, input the unique key, and then pay the ransom in order to get their files returned to normal. The decryption website uh, claims to be able to decrypt three small files for free, which a lot of ransomware authors are doing nowadays to prove that their decryption keys actually work. Um, that way, users are more likely to actually pay. And according to one source, the ransom for this was about $7,000, but I was not able to find another source to verify if that's like a blanket cost or if that was just for one infected org or what that $7,000 was. I'm wondering if in 2040 we'll move away from the Desert Island game, like what three books would you take? It's like, what three files would you decrypt (laughs) if you were ransomwared? It's a... Unfortunately, a game of reality for some yes, organizations. Not a game point. at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I hadn't heard that new tact uh, or tactic of allowing three free decryptions. Yeah, because there's been some problems in the past with some ransomware variants. Um, people like paying the ransom and then the decryption key not working. And so they like paid to have their files decrypted and then they couldn't be decrypted at all. And I remember, gosh, this was years ago, so I don't remember which ransomware it was, but I remember one time that happened and the ransomware author like sent an apology note and refunded them and everything. And I was like, wow, talk about grace and tact right there. That's what (laughs) we should all aspire Respect for the work. It's kind of interesting because ransomware is becoming like a business nowadays. Like a lot of hacking is now like a business where there's customer support even for Mm -hmm. like a lot of hacking tools and stuff. So I'm kind of surprised and not surprised. You know what I mean? It never ceases to like come as a shock even though it's becoming more and more common. It's just one of those things that you you don't, at least I don't think of these like criminal like tactics as being so well organized and still being criminal. So it's just, but in, anyway, that's just yeah, that's piece. interesting. Um, so I guess that leads to the next question in a sense, which is why is this type of campaign so effective? Yeah, well, I guess besides the fact that they're you know <laughs> running like a business, this campaign itself is um, pretty tricky because of the default setting in Windows that hides file extensions. So as I mentioned, in this case, the malicious file is DHL Customs Declaration Form .doc.exe. But in, um, if you have the default setting on Windows, it'll only show up in your files as DHL Customs Declaration Form .doc. And then it, as I mentioned, shows up with the uh, uh, Microsoft Word like logo. So the average user, or even honestly, some not so average users would probably um, not notice that and would likely think that it was fine. They wouldn't think twice about um, opening the file because it doesn't show the extension. And they wouldn't notice that it was the only one showing with an extension. So I don't think that like a user's going to be like, hmm, how strange this one shows .doc when none of my other files have any extension. They're just going to see .doc and not think twice about it. Um, and so they're going to go ahead and open it and infect themselves. This is just like a, a good phishing domain, right? Where you've got like www.gov.co or, yeah. or .com or something like that. And totally. just being really thoughtful about looking at you know, attachments. And I know it, that's incredibly new news, but <laughs> it's crazy that this like attack vector of like file extension, like hiding and stuffing has just been around since like the 90s and it still works today. Yeah. It just it's outrageous how, uh, you know, this attack vector is still valid. 
to quote Jennifer Leggio at Flashpoint Intel, um, she initially said the bots are the jelly shoes of info security <laughs> in this case. Talking Maybe, about like the jelly sandals? Yeah, yeah. the jelly sandals. <laughs> yeah. Maybe okay. keep uh, coming back. file extension, like hiding file extensions is the... Uh, Puka necklaces. Oh yes, <laughs> very relevant. And by it the way, it used to be really cool, and now it's not. Anymore. <laughs> Let me just take that. And I just definitely promoted an episode that hasn't come out yet, so consider that building mystery. <laughs> but um, we did sit down and speak with Jennifer, and we'll be publishing that at a later date. So keep an eye out and an ear out for that. Um, but getting to the knit and grit of it, so how can individual users, as well as, more importantly, organizations, protect themselves from this type of attack? Yeah, as Tarek mentioned, this particular like um, file extension, like um, hiding the file extension, is not new. And so first and foremost, users and organizations should just go ahead and change that default setting on Windows so that the file extensions are always displayed. The fact that it is hidden by default is just so stupid to me but there is a way to change it on pretty much every version of windows as far as i was able to tell quickly before coming here and um if in this case for this particular ransomware if the user or the organization has that default setting um turned off which means you would be able to see file extensions then they would easily see that this was a dot doc dot dxe and i think um most people even if they don't work in security would be um at least confused by that and would most likely realize it was probably malicious. Um, other than that, I feel like the usual advice that, that is applicable for most threats is applicable for this one. You know, you, organizations should really spend a lot of time educating their users on phishing emails because this comes from a DHL-themed phishing email. DHL is often the theme of phishing emails. And organizations should make sure that their um, security defenses are up to date, you know, including having up to date uh, like antivirus signatures and stuff. That's all great advice. And I'm curious with um, and I'm curious what the impact of the campaign was um, overall. What was the scope and how concerned should folks be that are listening in? Right now, it appears that this particular campaign was focused on targeting users in China, and it's unclear how successful the campaign was, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of users were clicking on that file just because it was a little sneakier. For our listeners that aren't located in China, I don't think they should be too concerned about this particular campaign. Um, But of course, it's very similar to dozens of other phishing campaigns. And so from that perspective, a lot of the advice still stands and they should be aware of it. And um, everyone should be going and making sure that they change that default setting for file extensions on Windows. But for this particular campaign, people outside of China probably don't need to be too concerned. They don't need to be like jumping out of their seats or pausing the podcast or anything. You can keep listening. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, then that leads into the hoodie rating here with Tarek. So, um, what would you what would you rate this at, Tarek? You know, I uh, <clears throat> I generally rate ransomware kind of on the lower end of the scale. Uh, you know, if you have like a moderately decent antivirus, it's like monitoring API calls and behaviors of executables. It's going to get picked up really quick. So, um, and you know, I'd be curious if this one has signatures in Windows Defender or not. Um, so, you know, this one would probably be really isolated towards the Windows 7 and prior versions of Windows, uh, really not optimized. And, um, you know, so from a business perspective, you know, I, I don't think most moderately decently secure environments should would be affected. So I give this one like a two out of 10. Are we doing 10 or five? 10. 10. Yeah, well, this is a two, uh, this is a three out of 10. 
A three out Because of it 10. is a little bit kind of a, like a surgical ransomware attack. So I'll up the ante from a two to a three. The committee accepts. Thanks. <laughs> Emily, what about you? Um, I am glad that you upped your ante because I had had three as my number as well. I was thinking this was a three out of ten just because it um, it is just, you know, a basic phishing campaign. It's not that sophisticated from that regard, and it is just basic ransomware. But it is interesting that it's targeting specifically users in China. And, again, I think the, the file extension thing, the the Microsoft Word logo, while those aren't unique necessarily to this malware, they are, you know, just one added little step to make it a little more successful, I suppose. So three out of ten. So not the pumpkin spice latte, the PSL of ransomwares? No. Is that like a ten out of ten, would that be? Or I associate those with basic, visual basic specifically. (laughs) Oh, so it's like slightly less basic than a pumpkin spice latte. It's only Uggs. Perfect. Well, thank you both for your thoughts on that topic here. And we're going to shift in to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Hackers appear to have scored an atypically large win, a permanent and unpatchable boot ROM exploit for all iPhones and iPads using A5, A6, A7, A8, A9, A10, and A11. One could say A5 through A11, (laughs) or one could say all of the numbers. Um, All these series processors arrange... Covering everything from 2011 iPhone 4S through 2017's iPhone 8 and iPhone X slash 10, whichever way you prefer to, to say that. So, Tarek, first of all, how was this exploit exposed and what's the potential consequence of it? Yeah. Um, so I really didn't need my morning coffee when I was on my bus ride in and I was uh, on Twitter and I came across some pretty big traffic on Checkmate. Uh, which was an iOS exploit. And um, yeah, so long story short, there's a security, an iOS security researcher with the handle um, AxiomX uh, on Twitter um, who decided to, who found the vulnerability uh, and who wrote the exploit code and then released uh, the exploit code uh, publicly um, and giving it the really cool title of Checkmate. In regards to the the consequences, um, I kind of want to talk about the exploit itself and maybe eliminate some of the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt because uh, I was guilty of that too. You know, when I first saw this, I was like, "Well, you know, if it's a boot ROM exploit, um, that's generally kind of unpatchable, and this is just um, this is the worst of the worst." And this one is pretty bad. But actually, if we walk through it, I think things are going to be a lot more um, reassuring to everybody. You don't need to burn your iPhones, and it, it, we're not at that point yet. So uh, I'll kind of crawl through everything. Uh, so one of the worst parts of it, this is a boot ROM exploit, and um, what this effectively is, this is this is targeting the software used to start your iOS device on the processor itself. And uh, one of the unfortunate parts of this is that this part is completely unpatchable. So the only way that Apple can actually do anything to mitigate this is uh, having a uh, the device in hand and installing new um, uh, boot ROM software on it, and that's just not going to happen. Um, but um, there's some other there's some other good parts to this too. Um, if you're a defender, not an attacker. Uh, so number one, it's not remotely exploitable. That one was probably you know when I see an exploit of this nature kind of hit, I think everyone wants to know uh, you know can I open URLs now? Can I uh, go to websites and things like that and not have to worry about uh, getting exploited? Uh, the good news is this one is not remotely exploitable. You can open a URL or like another attack vector like iMessage, which is getting more popular um, to look for vulnerabilities in. So that really dramatically lowers the risk of being exploited when it comes to standard users. Um, so an attacker would have to be uh, in possession of your device to attempt to exploit it. 
And then um, moving on to uh, like if an attacker was able to grab your iPhone and uh, what are they able to access? Well, one of the things is um, the exploit itself doesn't give you access to the secure enclave. Um, and the secure enclave is a dedicated coprocessor. It's a hardware key-based manager or a hardware-based key manager, excuse me, that's isolated from the main processor. Um, and it's used to store secrets, to store private keys and things like that. Um, but it also does it in a really, uh, in a way where you don't actually handle the key yourself and it doesn't allow those secrets to be divulged. And this also, this is kind of where your touch ID, face ID, your PIN number, all that kind of, that, that secret data is stored. So using the checkmate exploit, it doesn't bypass those controls um, as, a, as a TLDR. So you're safe there. Um, and all of your um, encrypted data is safe there, too. Um, so an attacker can't use that exploit and decrypt your data. Um, another really, really kind of reassuring thing, there isn't a persistence mechanism here. So um, if somebody was able to grab your phone and they had exploit that exploit code ready to go and they kind of have it in a uh, debug uh, mode set up and they're ready to you know, pop your phone... Um, Let's say they do run the exploit and they do attempt to drop malware on your box or on your box, on your phone. Um, a simple reboot will go ahead and get rid of the exploit code. Um, so there is no persistence mechanism here. Um, anytime that like um, malicious software or software is introduced into iOS that uh, doesn't match those uh, integrity checksums, iOS doesn't run the code. So you do have layers of security here uh, to keep that in mind. So with all, with all of that kind of in mind, um, it's still an extremely critical security vulnerability, but I don't think it's as bad as some of the other like mobile security vulnerabilities we've seen lately. Um, a couple of years ago, there was like Android Stage Fright, which was a, a remotely executable um, message you can send um, that also allowed privilege escalation. That one is probably one of the, the most severe ones out there. And I think initially we all thought this was something going to be similar to that, but thankfully that it's not the case. But I think this one's a pretty big game changer um, in the space for security researchers. So now there's a means to kind of inspect iOS on a way deeper level leveraging this exploit. So I think a positive spin of this is we're going to see um, a lot more security vulnerabilities be um, reported to Apple leveraging this exploit. I think one of the downsides is we're also going to see a lot more security vulnerabilities come out from this. Uh, some of those may not be responsibly disclosed. Um, so there's some pros and cons here. That was fantastic, Tarek. Thank you for that in-depth look at this exploit. And I have to say, I really enjoyed you describing the security enclave as where you can hide your secrets. <laughs> it's like the diary my phone keeps about me to itself. That's how I felt when you said that. Secure diary on your phone, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I think one of the um, things, too, that I'm personally nervous about with this is that, you know, we talked about security researchers, you know, using... Um, you know, this exploit to find some good or to find vulnerabilities and responsibly disclose them. There's going to be some that don't. But there's also like the darker side, which I think, you know, this uh, exploit's now going to get kind of hoovered up into nation states and government um, agencies and um, a lot of probably third party um, security forensics companies. Um, there's a couple big ones out there that we've read about in, in the news. Um, they're definitely going to leverage this exploit. And I think we're kind of aware of what they, uh, they'll they sell uh, to, uh, you know, governments and things like that. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting. So how can someone successfully jailbreak these affected devices then? Yeah, this one, I was playing around with it, and um, the exploit itself is in 
pretty raw form. It isn't anything that's trivial to execute. So something that's trivial to execute for exploit code would be like Metasploit modules, where you have your stagers, you've got your, um, you've got your loaders, you've got all these frameworks that really literally make it like point and click and easy to go. Uh, so this one hasn't been commercialized yet. Um, if you're kind of familiar with like the jailbreak community on iOS, like years ago when this was a lot more popular and iOS is a lot more insecure, there was one called um, Red Snow, which was like really trivial. It was an executable. You plugged in your iPhone and your iPod, double clicked, and boom, you had um, you had root on the box. And Speaking of that, have there been similar techniques to the one used in this particular exploit before? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when I was researching this and kind of reading up on uh, the history of iOS security, uh, turns out the last time there was a boot ROM exploit was like over 10 years ago. So Apple's done a really good job of of um, hardware-based security. Yeah, so this one is kind of surprising to see. 10 years ago? How old was Abe Lincoln 10 years ago? <laughs> Jeez, he was time. born in, or no. Yeah, we do this was, math every time. Every time. <laughs> it was 1819, right? If anybody's listening and has the ability to create like a Google extension with no malicious code, please, that um, just says how old Abraham Lincoln would be to the day, that would be extremely helpful for our math. I, it's 1809. I was 1809. 10 years off, so he would have been exactly 200. It's a ripe old age. Yeah. The ripe old age of 200. Okay, so final question I have for you, Tarek, is um, as it's a hardware exploit, what what can owners of these uh, devices actually do, and what does this really mean for the future of these types of devices? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I saw this, I'm immediately concerned about myself before anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, okay, what do I need to do right now to protect my data before I need to worry about anybody else's data? Um, so you know, after you kind of walk through how the exploit is and what the limitations are of the exploit, and you know the fact that it's not commercialized, and you have the secure enclave, and um, there are some like surface attack limitations there, um, everyday users don't need to adjust their lifestyle dramatically. You know, you really need this. Kind of goes back to threat modeling. So if you're trying to threat model your life around protecting your data against like a nation state or APT, I'd recommend uh, throwing your phone out. You'll never be able to, you can never keep up with governments or nation states. Um, that's, that's almost impossible to do. So just keep in mind, this is an exploit where, number one, you need to have somebody have physical access to your phone. They need to know what they're doing. They need to be really sophisticated. And they need to have, uh, you know, payloads and other things kind of just sitting on, ready to go. Um, for now. Now, I imagine if we wind the clock, you know, a year into the future, government agencies will probably have some turnkey capabilities because this tool or this exploit's been turned into like a commercialized tool form, um, you know, when that becomes more popular, uh, I would definitely advise people to go ahead and just get like an iPhone XS uh, Plus um, or whatever the newest ones are going to be. Um, that's the only way to actually mitigate this one. If you're really going to be threat modeling against the TSA and, you know, governments, um, you'll have to upgrade to the newest for uh, newest hardware. But for me personally, I have an iPhone XS, um, which is affected. Um, and so the only time I threat model against like a sophisticated adversary like that, um, you know, I, it was probably when I go through the TSA. So in that case, what you can do today is just turn off your phone. Um, that's something you should probably do anyways, if you're going through any kind of inspection points. Um, and so since the exploit doesn't allow a persistence mechanism, turn off your phone, go through the process. If they seize your phone, just simply reboot it and you're back to normal. So 
um, you have the secure enclave to protect your security keys, um, you generally should be okay. That being said, I'm still going to get the new iPhone later today <laughs> just because that sweet matte today? green finish. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Or probably tomorrow. But I want it today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads just perfectly into our hoodie rating. So I'm going to start with you, Emily. What would you rate this at? This one's actually a little tough because I um, I don't have an iPhone and I'm not responsible for the security of any iPhones at any organization or anything. So I hadn't really looked too far into this one. And so all I had really heard was the the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that led me to believe that this was like world ending. But I think Targ did a good job explaining why it's not world ending and maybe not as bad as everyone would like um, to believe. But I also think that you have a good point in that this, um, more than it being a problem, the problem is that it opens the door for other problems that um, may not have had a chance to exist before. So even though this one's not, um, you know, the hair on fire 10 out of 10 that maybe the news headlines would like it to be, I'm still going to give it a 6 out of 10 hoodies. I don't know why I delayed so much there. <laughs> Buzz for dramatic effect. A six. It's a lot to take in. <laughs> what do you think, Tarek? I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Uh, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Emily. It's um, it's definitely opening Pandora's box. So there's going to be some good that will come out of this. I think that there's going to be a lot of security researchers that are going to find new vulnerabilities now that they can, you know, easily more easily debug iOS and do, you know, behavioral analysis on it and uh, dig really deep into the guts of it. I think we're going to find some really good vulnerabilities that are going to get patched. So it's going to make the world a lot more secu- a secure place. Like a goodie, perhaps? Yeah, a goodie. But there's a, there's a catch-22. There's going to be people abusing this, too. Yeah. So I think there's going to be... Uh, I'm really curious to monitor, like, Zerodium, for example, which you can sell zero days to, um, and they pay good money for that. And so I'm really I'm going to be really curious to see like from a trend perspective if once you know Checkmate is now that it's public what the costs are are the costs going to go down because there's going to be more iOS vulnerabilities that are sold under um, through Zerodium which you can buy and sell uh, vulnerabilities with um, or what that looks like too so it's going to be really interesting to see how the the vulnerability space is, like is uh, affected by this. Yeah, well said, and um, yeah, I appreciate again the detailed. Uh, discussion around that particular exploit and um, getting getting through the FUD is always really important. It's a doozy. Yeah. So let's meander into our third article. Don't call me a meanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is dashing your food delivery hopes and dreams. So DoorDash has announced a data breach uh, where an unauthorized user was able to gain access to the personal information of about 5 million consumers, dashers, and merchants. So um, I am not familiar enough with DoorDash to know what a dasher is, but um, really enjoyed that in the title and description here. So, Emily, to to get started here, what do we know so far? Yeah, so what we know so far is, as you mentioned, 4.9 million accounts were compromised, and these belonged to consumers, merchants, and, as you mentioned, dashers, which are indeed the employees who deliver food for DoorDash, so the people who actually go pick it up from the restaurant and drive it to your or dash it, shall I say, to your door. Um, This only affected users who joined the platform before April 5th, 2019. Um, And the compromised information included 
names, email addresses, delivery addresses, order history, phone numbers, and hashed salted passwords. For some accounts, the last four digits of the credit card number uh, or bank account were also accessed. And for 100,000 unlucky dashers, driver's license number was also accessed. The rest of the DoorDash security bulletin just contained the usual spiel of, we take security seriously. We've responded by beefing up our security, but we promise we were already taking it seriously. Change your password. And I'm not trying to hate on DoorDash, honestly, although it sounds like I am, because this could happen to any company, but I'm just a little jaded. I'm just so tired of these, like, same stories, you know, day after day. Did they actually use the term beefed I don't up security? They did, or no. was that a subconscious food pun? I, 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 was, <laughs> I was helping them out, honestly, because I don't believe they said that. But, you know, I was on DoorDash, uh, on their security bulletin, and naturally the first thing I think of is food. Even if I'm not on DoorDash's security bulletin, the only thing I'm thinking of is food. But that is the point. So. It's poultry in motion. <laughs> so, Tarek, what are the ramifications of these types of breaches? It's just, it's funny. Like, we're going, in the past couple years, everything is a service now. Like, I get my groceries. I get my chicken wings on Football Sunday. I get, like, everything as a service now. Rover.com. Like, there's all these services out there. And for each service, you have to upload your personal, your PII or some flavor of it, your payment instrument. There's tons of data out there. And it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Your, your surface area of all of your data is just you know, the risk of that being exploited is getting higher and higher because everything is a service now. And so I'm, I think I'm kind of like you, Emily. I'm one part jaded, one part really frustrated that companies always talk about taking security seriously. And then you read about now we don't know how the breach happened. So I don't want to make any kind of, you know, assumptions on there. But, you know, you do come and read about like certain companies like um, Equifax having admin admin on their, you know, public facing firewall and that being one of the primary attack vectors. And you just start to lose a lot of hope that uh, companies are really doing the right things. Um, the frustrating part, too, is that there's nothing you can do to rotate your PII. Like, I can't get a new social security number. You know, I can't get a new address. So all these things that are exposed are out there forever. Um, and they, you know, obviously get tied up in challenge response questions. And so um, there's so much risk going on for all these new services coming out. Um, so I'm just... The ramifications are uh, more risk, uh, <laughs> and it's it's not good. It's also like impossible to avoid a company that may get breached. It's not like you can say like, "Well, I'm going to mitigate my risk to my data by not participating in these kind of services," because it's like they are ubiquitous. As you mentioned, like your groceries maybe get delivered to your house from a service like this you get your food delivered like your dog goes out for walks literally anything and like with with some of these like doordash or whatever like i suppose the alternative like people are like well then don't just have a delivery service like walk down the street or whatever and get your food it's like i don't feel like we should have to choose between like our data being safe and like living in 2019 i don't know it's a good point like i like to go to the doctor but i have to give them everything under the sun right and i know Selfish. a lot of those those Windows machines they use oh, run an boy. epic software. I know a lot, they are not that secure. Uh, but you need to go to the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of the alternative here. So yeah, ugh, another day, another breach. another breach. Well, that's probably a great signal here to pop into the hoodie rating. Um, Emily, I'll start with you. What would you rate this DoorDash breach at? Oh boy, I part of me wants to give it like a one, and part of me wants to give it like a nine, just because I'm like equal parts like just so over it, and also just like 
filled with annoyance. But I think in reality, the stuff that was um, compromised here, names, email addresses, like, that's bad. Um, order history, that, you know, maybe could be bad. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but the passwords were hashed and salted. The banking and payment information was only last four. And the number of people that had really, I guess, really sensitive information, driver's license number, uh, compromise was relatively small. So comparatively with some other breaches that may be included, like full passwords or full credit card number, your social, I think this one's a lot um, smaller or smaller is not the right word. It's a lot less impactful, maybe. So I'm going to give this one a four. Yeah. What do you think, Tarek? I give this one, and uh, it's probably definitely a seven out of ten. Uh, I give it, I give it that high, maybe even a because the scope of accounts are huge, four point nine million. Uh, you're right, though, when when it comes to the sensitivity impact of the data, like the passwords are hashed and salted. Thank God, no MD5s, mm-hmm. <laughs> unsalted MD5s. Um, but you know things like your you know, your phone number, delivery address, email addresses. Those are our full names. Those are all going to be consumed into like phishing campaigns and um, you know uh, mal spam campaigns. And so um, it's hard to tell the ripple effect from this. But I think it just gives attackers more data to work with. So it's that whole attacker life cycle where they get breaches happen. Those you know pieces of data get exposed and they get sucked right into uh, different uh, attacker campaigns. So. Although we may not see like initial stuff uh, based off of this, it's going to just increase, uh, give uh, the attackers more ammo. Well, I want to thank you both for all of your thoughts and detailed explanations for the articles today. Um, We'll be back here next week for another episode, and we look forward to catching you up on all the other shenanigans that have happened. Security shenanigans. Security shenanigans. Cheers. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at DomainTools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.